Church, Andover Campus, in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for the goodness that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we, um, we ask that you would teach us, help us to hear your word today, that, Lord, you would entrust it to us so that we could go out of this place and share your good news with those who are hurting and broken and lost and in need of your touch. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Have you ever thought about what makes a roller coaster so exhilarating? Is this something you do in your spare time, right? I just, you know, I like to think about what a roller coaster is like or why it's that way. I found out designers, they, they kind of pull together and consider so many different variables in order to create a thrilling experience for the riders. Now, whether it's this potential energy that builds up as the, the cart is pulled up the initial hill that gets your blood pumping, or if it's the kinetic energy that brings you down and goes through all these loops, swoops, pulls, and turns, all these design elements, they're used to build on and play into a rider's expectations. I mean, like if you go to an open-air roller coaster like the Hulk in Islands of Adventure in Orlando, you walk up to this colossal thing, and it's about this experience seeing this huge green you know, thing put all together, connecting together. You hear all these sounds of the rushing cars going through and the yelling of those participants who are meeting their doom, right? It, get really, uh, it kinda gets you really excited. It envelops you in this experience, and so the designers are really playing, even before you get on the roller coaster, what it means to actually expect something different or weird or a thrilling experience. But my favorite ride has to be The Mummy. And The Mummy is in Universal Studios in Orlando, and it's after this, the movie, The Mummy. Uh, go figure, right? But the waiting in line, it actually, you walk into this building that's made to look like an archaeological dig in a pyramid. And so you walk around and you see all these big cavernous rooms with all these different uh, hieroglyphics and things on there. There's uh, artifacts laying to the side displayed. And, and then you get to this place where you get into the mining cart. Okay, it's actually the roller coaster is made to look like you're going on an archaeological dig inside of this pyramid. And so you sit in this cart and you're going on a tour. And so you think, oh, how nice. It's real. It starts off real uh, silent, chill, and says, hey, look over here at this. But then apparently we have awoken the mummy. And so that is when the real excitement begins. And you're taken uh, on this crazy excursion. Uh, in fact, at one point, it actually goes backwards instead of forwards. And it's pretty exhilarating. Uh, and, and it's fun. And it plays on these expectations that you have of whether you're going to get chased and, uh, and handled by this mummy. But the most exciting point comes when you think the ride has just stopped. You're expecting to go, okay, we made it. Let's get off the ride. But all of a sudden you look up and there's these flames right above your head that it just engulfs this roof in these flames. And you're cast down this 39-foot drop into darkness. It's really exhilarating and fun. And some of you are like, some of you are like, 
So if you don't like roller coasters, maybe not so much fun. But all these, these, these things were designed with the element to play on expectations of the riders. It's building expectation, right? Uh, and so the designers know these intricate things about when the, the rider thinks they should turn left, how much they play into turning right before it becomes too much or, or something one way or the other. It's really interesting. You know, we have expectations in life, don't we? And a lot of these expectations can be positive things. Like many of us, me as a child, I was told, you know, if you just get education, if you go get more education, there's going to be more opportunity out there for you, right? I mean, that's what we're told. And I've also been told things like, if you just do what you're supposed to do, everything is just going to turn out all right. And that leaves us with a little bit of this expectation and this positive expectation that if I, I can control my circumstances, you know, having positive expectations is actually linked to good health. Like the Mayo Clinic actually links positive thinking to uh, an increased lifespan, to lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress, greater resistance to the common cold, which we would need around here. See, expectations play significantly into how we live our lives. And having a positive expectation for how things will turn out sounds pretty great. However, there are some times in our lives when expectations just get unmet, right? Have you ever gone somewhere or been a part of a time when you got there and you're like, man, this really isn't what I signed up for? So, for instance, say you go to your son's baseball tryout, and you're standing there watching him try out, and all of a sudden the coach walks over and says, hey, we need you somebody else to coach. And you're like, I'm just the driver, man. I don't, that's not what I'm expecting. Or maybe like my wife, you find out that your significant other snores really badly. The honeymoon phase wore off pretty quickly, and we were very thankful for the CPAP machine, y'all. Uh, it saved my marriage. Um, Think about how our expectations are linked to even social media and TV. I mean, oftentimes we see people's pictures and what they post, and they're, they're posting their highlight reel, right? Well, why does my, you know, outtake look so much worse than their highlight reel? Or even television plays on this idea about people who are rich and famous and how great their life looks, and we're thinking, why is my life going down the drain? And everybody else seems to have their stuff together. It's like we think one thing and we expect one thing, but we get another. So what do we do with these unmet expectations or when something bad unexpectedly happens? I mean, sure, we can have a positive approach, but some circumstances, like things that just like, wreak havoc on, uh, on our like, normal lifestyle, they have a, this propensity to take us on this roller coaster ride and, and leave us feeling angry and jaded and hopeless. I think that may have been where the people Jesus was talking to, that may, may have been where they were. See, we talked last week about how the people, uh, the Jewish people were coming back from their exile in Jerusalem, in, excuse me, to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. And the exile was completely disorienting for the people of Jerusalem and for the Jewish people. For them, they were looking forward to the day when they would go back to Jerusalem because in Babylon, they had no sense of security. And so Jerusalem to them was this opportunity for safety and stability. But when they returned back from Babylon to Jerusalem, their expectations, they weren't just unmet, they were shattered. 
The temple, it was a shell of what it used to be. They ended up under oppressive Roman occupation. People were still acting like the the same corrupt ways that the people were before they went into exile. And worse yet, God seemed to be silent for 400 years. Though they seemed like they were in their homeland, even though they were there in Jerusalem, the people were still in exile. I mean, can you imagine the hopelessness? Can you imagine the questioning? I mean, what happens when your home no longer feels like home? Then out of nowhere, after 400 years of silence, this teacher, Jesus, he breaks on the scene. And he says, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. And people start taking notice. Matthew 5 starts out by saying that Jesus saw the crowds and he went up to the mountain. And this is kind of odd to me. Jesus has gone throughout Galilee and he has gone announcing to all these crowds that God's kingdom is coming. Jesus is essentially telling the people that the exile is over. And Matthew tells us that Jesus starts to talk to this crowd and to his disciples. See, Jesus begins to outline what the kingdom of heaven is looks like. Now this may be strange, or it may seem strange to you that Jesus is talking about a kingdom, especially to this lowly crowd and this group of disciples, especially in a land under oppressive occupation. However, the gospel writer tells us that Matthew says that Jesus is in the line of King David. And so what Jesus is actually doing here is living into what a king does. He actually establishes the rule of the land. Jesus has announced that the kingdom is coming. And in Matthew 5, King Jesus is sharing with his disciples in the crowd what is to be expected for those in the kingdom of heaven. And it's completely contrary to what we think and how we expect things to be. See, instead of saying that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the rich, to the powerful, or to the elite, Jesus says, happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now our translation says happy, and you may have heard the word blessed, expressing that God's favor is upon those who are hopeless. See, Jesus elevates and blesses those who grieve, the humble, those who hunger for righteousness, the merciful, those with pure hearts, and those who are making peace. See, the circumstances of people who are happy are blessed by Jesus. They're less than ideal, but the circumstances, they aren't the defining feature of those who are being blessed. You see, Jesus points to a future hope for those who are hurting, who are broken, and ultimately recognize their need for God. Now, if you look at the six Beatitudes, six of these Beatitudes, Jesus names the current circumstances but then he points to a promise that is yet to come. Like verse 4, happier people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happier people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happier are the people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happier people who make peace because they will be called children of God. You know what I love about Jesus here is he doesn't deny the circumstances. He doesn't say to those who are grieving, he doesn't say, hey, get over it. It doesn't matter. It'll be fine. He doesn't say, stop hungering and thirsting after righteousness. 
Because that doesn't really matter. Or he doesn't say, you know, uh, those who have shown mercy, you should just forget about what caused you to show mercy in the first place. No, under Jesus' reign, those whose shattered expectations of how life is supposed to be, they're encouraged to focus, yes, on the present, but also the future hope they have in the kingdom of heaven. And yet, Jesus doesn't deny the current brokenness of their circumstances. See, those under the authority of the kingdom of heaven, they're connected to the divine promise that one day God is going to make all things right. He will make all things new and restore all brokenness into completeness. See, there is hope under the rule and reign of King Jesus that one day there will be no more crying. There will be no suffering. There will be no more pain. It's a promise that there is a day that is coming when all righteousness will be fulfilled. Justice will roll down like waters and there will be peace. See, God's kingdom, hope lies within expecting the unexpected. Remember, Matthew shows us that Jesus entrusted this kingdom message and the kingdom of heaven to an unlikely group, this crowd and the disciples, and Jesus points them to a future hope for those whose circumstances are less than ideal. Now, I don't know about you, but when my circumstances seem pretty terrible, I have a couple of different things I like to do. Number one, I say, well, that's just life, right? Have you ever said that before? Things bad happen to you? Oh, well, that's just the way it goes. Life's not fair. You know, or I, I go the other end too. When something doesn't go my way, I like to try to control and pick out all the different things I can do to make all things better myself, right? But I think Jesus is asking those under his reign to recognize something else. He points to this future. He seems to be advocating and encouraging his followers to realize that God shows up in some of the most unlikely places and points to a future restoration. And God's been doing it since creation. God showed up to bless Abraham and Sarah with a child saying, you will bless others through this child all the way back in Genesis. God showed up and blessed the youngest of eight sons of Jesse to be Israel's most famous king. And now, God shows up in Jesus, born of a virgin, to save God's people from their sins. See, in God's kingdom, hope lies within expecting the unexpected. And here's the deal. Just because we have hope doesn't mean that our circumstances don't matter. It doesn't mean that we are supposed to deny those things are even going on. See, we live in this tension between knowing that God's kingdom has come and is still in the middle of being worked out. See, what has encouraged me the most is understanding this. God notices the hopeless. God sees the grieving. God is aware of those who are humble. He sees the pure in heart and sees those who show mercy. See, when all our circumstances point us towards the direction of chaos and turmoil and destruction, we can embrace the hope of the unexpected because God is good, God is faithful, but ultimately, God sees us. So where are you? Have you had your circumstances be so overwhelming that it's really hard to trust God's goodness? I'm not telling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just forget about those things. What I'm asking you to do is to have the courage 
to trust God and to lean into him a little more. You, it is never wasted effort to lean into God. See, your situation may be a terrible mess, but God sees you. He hears your cries. He cares for our brokenness. You know, expect the unexpected, that there will be comforting when it doesn't seem like any comforting could possibly be around. Hope lies within expecting the unexpected. So Jesus, he gives this hopeful message about the kingdom reign of heaven and what it looks like to this most unlikely group in a very rough time in Israel's history. Friends, we are all part of that unlikely, unexpected group. God has grafted us into a story of unexpected expectation of his salvation that has come and is still coming. Jesus entrusts that to you. Will you trust him? Will you lean into him? Let us pray. God, we thank you that you see us. That, God, you do not forget about us. That despite our circumstances, we can look to you knowing, Lord, that you are making all things new. You are restoring. God, help us to hold on to the hope, expecting the unexpected. Lord, help that to be a normal step of faith in our lives where no matter the situation, we lean into you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.